This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Hello and welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Daniel M. Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Bridget Todd, the host of the iHeartRadio podcast, There Are No Girls on the Internet, and the founder of Unbossed Creative, a media company that makes podcasts and other digital content. Bridget, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am so beyond excited to be here. I am so excited that you're here, not least because you're joining us internationally. And I'm already feeling just like a certain Grace Kelly quality. Like we're both wearing scarves and like zipping <laughs> around Monaco. And maybe we're going to go play Baccarat later. Yes. I've been wearing a lot of like scarves and striped shirts and like sitting in cafes pondering. Absolutely. If you get the chance to later insult someone on a yacht, I hope that you take it. Oh, um, I always do. Good. Good. Whenever you're you're near a yacht, behave rudely. That's my number one piece of advice to people wherever they go. Um, and I'm just so pleased that you are staying safe from all the many, many fires in Portugal. Uh, and I hope that nothing's ever on fire again. Same. That's a good hope. And, unless unless you like want it to be, unless it's like a, an active choice. Like a, or like, like a, the sun. The sun should yeah. be on fire. Some things are okay to be on fire, but other or, things should not be. Or combusting. I don't know if it's technically correct to say that the sun is on fire or in the process of combusting. But uh, actually, that's like a weirdly good segue because the subject of our very first letter is more than burnout. And I don't know that I'm going to get a better chance than this um, to lead into it. So if you don't mind, I'm going to read our first letter. Go right ahead. I've recently noticed that I don't let myself pursue anything, even most hobbies, that won't provide me health insurance in the next few years. I'm almost 21 with no real long-term career ideas or education plans that I think I'd make it through. I'm neurodivergent, and I have a history of deeply enjoying special interests for just long enough to want to work in them, only to not be able to maintain focus and eventually dropping off. I almost dropped out of high school due to burnout before the pandemic, and I don't think I ever fully recovered. I work two lightly physically demanding jobs, seven days a week, most weeks, which is not a financial necessity, and have a chronic illness that I need health insurance to be able to take care of. I know that I'm overcommitting myself, but I don't feel like I can stop and give myself the rest I need because every time I do, it gets harder to refocus on finding something that doesn't seem to exist. I want to find a way to build a life where I can survive capitalism's demands and thrive in a community, but it feels impossible to reach for one without dropping the other. I um, So I realize this is like a really huge question that's like staring down the barrel of the rest of the letter writer's adult life. And that can feel like a lot of pressure for the two of us, given that we don't know this person and like we wish them well, but can't follow up in a lot of meaningful ways. So I, I want to maybe start by saying, I hope we can offer one to three useful suggestions that might help the letter writer clarify some of their medium-term goals and or help them deal with the kind of overwhelming feelings they're going through right now. But you and I are probably not going to solve this problem in the next 10 or 15 minutes. And, and hopefully that takes a little bit of the pressure off. Yes. Thank you for letting me off the hook because I was already like, oh, what am I going to say to this person? Because honestly, I feel like, like in a lot of ways, I could have written this letter. I'm so curious to see what kind of 
advice comes from this because I feel like so many of us are struggling with this exact same thing right now. Like, like how are we meant to live our lives? Like, how do we, you know, live lives that feel that we feel good about? Yeah, I, I think that's actually a wonderful place to start. And, you know, to whatever extent you feel comfortable sharing any details about your own, like, almost 21-year-old self, what were you, what helped you during that time or what might have helped you during that time? Oh, that's such a good question. I I think that, so something that jumps out at me from this letter writer that I really identify with is this idea that I have to, I'm supposed to have it all figured out now and sort of staring down the barrel of all this uncertainty and, and having that really add to what's already an uncertain time. I think for me, Honestly, it was just the the wisdom of age realizing that like I didn't have to have it all figured out that like a lot of people don't have it all figured out and you know your life is going to have ebbs and flows where things feel good and make sense and where things don't feel good and don't make sense and that that's normal. I think I didn't realize that that was a pretty normal experience until a little bit later. And so I think kind of letting myself off the hook for having to have this heavy weight of existential pressure to have it all figured out right then and there was really helpful. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, I think that, man, I'm I'm very aware of, of how different my life is in my mid-30s than it was at, at almost 21. But when I think about like, when I was almost 21, I was at a terrible evangelical Christian college that I did not want to attend, but made zero plans to leave. Like I knew that I hated it. I knew I didn't want to be there. I made no plans to transfer. I didn't transfer. I had a pretty miserable experience. Um, I was, you know, in the full swings of a pretty steady drinking problem. I was smoking cigarettes. Like my life depended on it. I had good things going on in my life as well too. But like I really had the sense of these four years are a real wash and I am setting myself up for a panicked 20s because I sure don't want to go on to become a youth pastor. Um, so e- even even though that's not a direct like one-to-one correlation with this letter writer situation, I definitely remember that sense of being 20 and thinking, the rest of my life cannot look like this. And I'm not really sure what counts as sufficient motivation other than panic. And I think that that was something that was difficult for me to sort of sort through throughout my 20s and later in my 30s was if I have a crisis I have to solve, then I usually have enough motivation to get out of bed and face the day. And if I don't have a crisis, I kind of feel like, I guess I could just lay here until the afternoon. And I didn't like that. You know, I didn't like crises, but I also didn't know how else to get myself out of bed or make a move from point A to point B. So not to say letter writer don't worry, everyone goes through feelings like this. But I do really, I think, share your sense of, I have no idea what 22 and 23 and 24 and 25 are going to look like at this age. Can I ask, I would love to know, you know, you talked about how the only times where you felt really motivated to make, have any kind of momentum was when you were in a crisis. Did you find Christ, like a time of crisis to be clarifying? Like, were you making clear, focused, intentional moves during a crisis? Or were you just sort of like, making panic decisions because you knew that you had to? Like, did it allow you to have productive forward momentum or just like any kind of momentum was was like, fine? I think it was the latter. Yeah, it was not like this is the ideal way to get myself out of bed. But unless I know I'm already late for something and I have to start hustling immediately, it would sort of feel like, well, this is so arbitrary. I could get up now. I could get up 20 minutes from now. I could get up 40 minutes from now. So 
how could I possibly choose between any of those? There's no meaningful distinction. I feel weirdly trapped and inert. Whereas uh, I wake up, I'm hungover, I don't know where my car is. Then that's like a project and a, and a, a big one too. Um, and so I don't recommend that this letter writer either pick up a drinking problem or start smoking cigarettes. Um, I'll, I'll just say that I think that's one of the reasons that oftentimes in that time of life, if people feel adrift, they sometimes latch on to uh, things that create crises to give them a sense at least of, well, this is a short-term problem I can address. Mm. Um, and and I think especially when you're in a position where you're like, I really need health insurance. I'm like, you know, I experience like, shifting relationships to my ability to focus, sometimes like short-term pleasures or structures feel much more real than something that's going to set you up for something potentially good, you know, several years down the line, which feels like that is so remote. It might as well be something that will happen to an angel on the moon. Oh, absolutely. And something a therapist once told me is that like a good practice to get into is sort of stripping away judgment from things that you're doing. And so like my therapist once told me that judgment and curiosity cannot coexist. And so you should really be curious about, you know, why you're doing things and the things that you're doing to cope. And so if you're finding yourself doing these short-term coping tactics that maybe feel good in the moment, you don't have to judge those in the moment. You can say like, oh, I'm like, like, I wonder why this feels more manageable than than this other longer-term thing. Or I wonder why I'm gravitating toward these projects that feel like they're, you know, they, they can bring some focus to my life and not these longer term projects that feel so, so fraught and so tenuous. Um, really, I guess I would invite this letter writer to bring a spirit of curiosity about why these things feel the way they do without judgment, without judging like, well, I guess I'm a piece of crap because I lose focus on things so quickly or what have you. Yeah, I wish, I wish so much I could ask this letter writer if one or both of the jobs that they're working right now provides them with health insurance or if they pay for health insurance out of pocket. It's a little bit unclear to me. They say these two jobs aren't a financial necessity, but that they do need health insurance. So one thought that I had was if one of the jobs provides you with health insurance and you don't need to work both jobs, one pretty straightforward option to me would be to give notice at the job that doesn't give you health insurance so that you are merely working one lightly physically demanding job seven days a week, most weeks, which is still quite a lot. Um, that, that that would be, I think, my sort of first point of, of call is, is, you know, you say that you're not sure you've ever fully recovered from the burnout you experienced in high school and that you're aware that you're probably overcommitted heading for another breakdown of sorts in the near future, but that you're afraid if you're not burning the candle at both ends, you will never work up the energy to do anything useful. Uh, and so what that suggests to me is that you you share maybe some of my own experience with, I know how to handle a crisis and I know how to be in bed all day, every day. And those are my two modes. And I'm afraid of going back to bed so I'm just going to do this until I have to go back to bed. And I know that that's not going to work, but it's kind of the only thing that works. And I really, like, not to just say, like, I relate to that, but I really relate to that. But I, but I think that, man, if you are in a position where you could quit one of those jobs and still have health insurance, you'd still be keeping pretty busy. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to also lift up that this letter writer says that they they can see that they're heading for burnout and that they were previously burnt out and did not recover. Burnout recovery is no joke. I think I heard somewhere that it takes like several years to recover from burnout. It's not, you know, 
go on vacation for a week or take a week off. It's like a years long process. And so this letter writer seems really clear that they did not recover fully from the previous burnout and now is setting up the conditions to perhaps be burnt out even more. And so it just seems like it really like acknowledge the fact that they seem really clear that that is happening and it's not necessarily a good a good situation to be to be knowingly heading toward yeah and i think that i i really understand and appreciate that this letter writer feels really anxious about not having long-term career plans or long-term education plans but I think given your position right now, letter writer, it makes sense that you're not formulating a lot of long-term plans. I would I would encourage you to focus on short and medium term right now. So short term is, can I safely give up one of these jobs and still take care of myself financially and keep my health insurance? If so, I think that should be your first priority. And I realize part of you might worry, but I'll just use that extra time to sleep and watch TV. I would I would say maybe that is okay uh, to do um, and maybe even necessary that you're not going to just sort of magically gin up this new energy just by sort of thinking, I really should have more energy right now. You will actually need to rest. And, and you know, even trying to reframe that first sentence, I've noticed I don't let myself pursue anything that won't provide me health insurance in the next few years, which you frame as like a real downside. And certainly there, there could be... Um, troublesome aspects to that. But what that what also says to me is like, you prioritize having health insurance and taking care of like your chronic issues. That's reasonable. That's sensible. That's good. So I don't want you to feel like that is a guarantee that you will never have like joy or roses or fun in your life again. That just means that you have a pretty serious priority right now. And it sounds like you've been able to make that priority achievable. And that is something that I hope you can commend yourself for. That's a good thing. Oh, I'm so glad that you said this. I actually have a little bit of what might be an unpopular opinion about this. I think we prioritize as a society, we do too much prioritization of like having long-term goals, professional goals, educational goals. I think if there are people who don't necessarily innately have like deeply held long-term educational or professional plans, that's fine. Like, I, I don't know. I have always thought that we, I felt the same way. I didn't really have a lot of plans or goals. And, you know, it worked out fine for me. Like, like I guess I feel like it's not necessarily some sort of character flaw if you're not a super professionally goal-oriented person. And I would invite everybody to, like, drop that judgment because I think it really comes from, as this letter writer pointed out, it comes from like this capitalistic go, go, go society that we've built for ourselves. And if you don't feel like you can fit within that very rigid understanding of our society, that like something is wrong with you. And that's, I just don't believe that. I don't think that's true. Yeah. And and I really think, you know, you don't say much letter writer about what these jobs entail, but it sounds like they're at least engaging and like physically active enough that you are not in danger of like falling asleep doing them, which I also like really relate to. I have definitely had jobs where like if it didn't sufficiently uh, attract my interest, my brain would immediately be like, you are more tired than you have ever been. You need to fall asleep right now. <laughs> like that's Shut genuinely a challenge. And be like, no, I got a full night's sleep last night and the night before. Please stop doing this. Um, so I, I can certainly appreciate that can 
provide like a real challenge. Um, but it doesn't sound like that's what you're experiencing right now. So I, I think the fear is if I don't have this kind of hamster on a wheel feeling, I will be so relaxed and restful that all I want to do is rest. And then I won't find out what I want to do for the rest of my life. But I don't think working two jobs that it sounds like already don't line up with what you might like to do for the rest of your life is getting you any closer to that anyways. So I think this is maybe an opportunity to say the illusion of constant busyness is not the same thing as like working towards a specific goal. So if I were to give up one of these jobs, that would not mean I was getting further away from learning more about what else I might want to do. That would just mean I'm actually giving myself more time to rest, which I really do need to do, even though part of me feels like every time I rest, I'm losing steam, I'm losing momentum, I'm losing my chance, like the door is closing. Um, and I will just say that I both really want this letter writer to be able to like learn more about other career prospects that they might be interested in and also to feel like that is not something you have to decide at 21, one and done, and it's the same thing forever. Um, I, I would really encourage you to focus more on like what are some short-term things that you would like to do that feel like they would provide you with like pleasure and rest. Would You know, you don't have to – there's not like – um. You know, you don't have to be like a, a character in an Austin novel where it's like, oh, you've got to be accomplished. Like, you don't have to have a bunch of hobbies. Like, that's not itself a, a universal good. Like, if a hobby brings you delight and pleasure and true rest and you have a great time and you enjoy it, that's lovely. But you don't have to have hobbies. Lots of cool people don't have hobbies. They just like to hang out, you know? <laughs> yeah, vibing can be your hobby. Yeah, so I, I, I want to be careful about that because I don't want to just suggest, hey, just don't care about stuff. Um, if, you, if you want to, I want you to be able to do that too, but I also don't want you to fear that any unoccupied hour is your enemy so much as trying to figure out what does and doesn't work. And um, even if you were to quit one of these jobs and find, wow, for the next six months, all I did was work and rest, you're not worse off than you were before. Um, you might then want to try something else, but you would not have lost anything, I think, significant. So I, I do think this is a situation where you have relatively little to lose um, and relatively a lot to gain, even if all that you gain is some good sleep and some good chilling out. That's such good advice. I, I really think that's spot on. And yeah, I, I just think especially the, the last couple of years we've all had through the pandemic, give yourself space to rest and have that be enough. Like, that is something that like, I really think people need to hear. Yeah. And if the resting sometimes makes you feel lonely or isolated, I can also really get that. Um, and I would suggest maybe prioritize the community and the thriving. Since you're already, at least for the, you know, for the present, you're surviving capitalism's demands because you say you're, you're making enough money that you don't need to work both jobs. I would say it's a lot easier sometimes to find uh, like movements or organizations you want to be a part of, people that you want to be around, action that you want to commit to, than it is to find like an amazing career that you can train for and get a job in. Um, and again, not to say that either of those things are like easy or something you do once and then never again, but since you're already able to pay your bills, if the question is then what do I focus my extra time and energy on between trying to find a great career or trying to find a community I can thrive in, I say look for communities that you can thrive in. And think of them as like multiple communities, things that you have to work to create as well as just find and join um, and not relationships that you can just jump into overnight that immediately become like deeply rooted, but that are possible to start to move towards. Um, 
And again, to like keep your expectations realistic. Maybe it's like, okay, one day a week I'm going to like join this action or like be involved with this community. Not every day I have to max out my like community outreach work. Otherwise, uh, it all is going to fall apart. Do you have any other like last minute thoughts or suggestions on this one? Yeah, I, I love your advice. And I would also say that I think I, I see the, a parallel of the the resting and the community building sort of being linked that like when you can, sh- when you are able to show up as your rested sort of like full self, that's just more of yourself that you can meaningfully dedicate to the work of finding a community that really feels like a good fit. Nobody can build or find community from a place of, you know, being like just so exhausted that they can barely show up. So I think like giving yourself space to, to, do some of that resting could also be the thing that allows you to have the energy and the time to really commit to finding a community that feels good. Yeah. Yeah. And letter writer, I know a lot of this was really open-ended. So I will just invite you to, if you're able to, and you want to write back and let us know a little bit more, either about some of the hobbies you've previously enjoyed, some of the careers that you think you might be interested in, any more specifics. Uh, I would love to be able to provide you with slightly more specific advice if possible. So please do feel free to, to write back with any more details if you can. I think that's a good note to end for now and move on to our next letter, which is also very like, you know, young person at a crossroads. How do I define the things that I want and pursue them? And and again, it's a situation where I'm like, I've been in that relationship. <laughs> Not this exact one, but very much this approach to feelings. So the subject is conflicted and demoralized. I've been in a relationship with a man in an open marriage for the last two and a half years. The first year in particular was really rough for a variety of reasons, most of which boil down to the fact that I was too scared to advocate for myself when I felt that I wasn't being treated fairly. He has a tendency to deal with conflict by telling what I call jokes that aren't jokes about not having another partner or not having children, which I find mean-spirited. Rather than telling him that he's hurt my feelings directly, I choose to ruminate about it and make up stories that may or may not be true. I've been working really hard to unlearn that pattern, but the problem is that the few times I've gathered the courage to bring up specific incidents that have really been eating away at me, he claims that he doesn't remember saying those things, which tends to bring the conversation to an awkward end. It's not that I don't believe him. A lot of what bothers me happened over two years ago. I just don't know how to begin to address these issues directly given the fact that he doesn't remember them. I'm moving to a different state at the end of July for my dream job, and I'm wondering if it's even worth it at this point to keep trying. What are your thoughts? Mm. I, you know, hello, Daniel from 2008. (laughs) Um, I, too, have spent some of my, like, really formative romantic relationships feeling hurt, extremely hurt by something that a partner has said that may or may not have been intended uh, to be hurtful. And rather than say anything, took that hurt feeling like a cherished, jewel into like a private cave of my most secret thoughts and like built a small religion around it and like visited it every day and gave it offerings and told stories about it and talked to myself about it and created like an elaborate subterranean culture 
all around the incident, which no one ever thought about again but me, and I thought about it all the time. And I did this constantly. I had like a Bolshoi ballet in my own like mind that only I had tickets to. And like maybe if I had worked out my feelings for five years, I would tell you about it later, but only then. And um, I don't recommend it at all. It's awful. It's the worst. I I can I mean I'll just say yes. I ad- identify with that quite a bit. It's something that I work have worked on for most of my adult life. And I, I realized something that probably like a lot of people, I grew up in a kind of household where it didn't feel safe to express my needs and feelings and opinions and emotions. And so I just really internalized them. And so even, you know, now that I'm an adult and I'm in charge of my own life and no longer I'm a kid it's still really hard for me to express needs clearly. And so I don't, and that would be fine. But I then hold people in my life accountable to things I don't, I'm not able to express, right? And so I'm not able to express it, yet I expect you to meet that need. And if you don't, you have failed me and now it's a problem and now I'm thinking about it forever and now I've like built up a whole negative fantasy about it, yada, 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 right? And so I think first... For this letter writer, I think it will be important to really get into a habit of like hearing yourself express your needs and your concerns really clearly out loud. Like I had to like get used to hearing myself say the things that I wanted or the things that I didn't want or the things I wasn't okay with and almost like break down the uh, the uncomfortableness of having to hear myself express those. Because listen, we're all humans. We have needs. We respond to things. We have feelings. That's okay. But I had to really do some work to get myself to be able to clearly express that. And so I would say first, letter writer, you should let yourself, you know, clearly express your needs and what you want and what you aren't comfortable with like often. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can really appreciate that bit at the end of I'm wondering if it's even worth it at this point to keep trying. Um, in as much as like this particular relationship sounds like it's run its course, it sounds like you're ready to be done with him and you want to take the fact that you'll be gone in like a week and a half as just a sort of easy, no must, no fuss way to break up with him. By all means, absolutely. You do not have to have like this big, long, difficult follow-up conversation with this particular guy, given that you've already brought things up a couple of times and he's been pretty dismissive. But oh my goodness, do I hope that in the future, in future relationships, hopefully with people who will have a better reaction when you say, hey, you said something that hurt my feelings, then I don't remember that. Let's do something else. Um that you can start to cultivate a relationship to sharing difficult feelings with a partner without waiting for two years and a lot of hurt feelings to go by. And so I would say, absolutely, you don't have to have another conversation with this guy if you just want to break up with him. I think you probably should break up with him. Even if I give him a lot of the benefit of the doubt, the fact that you did bring this up multiple times uh, and every time he was just like, well, I don't remember it, so what are you going to do? Rather than like, I don't remember this, so tell me more about what you remember since you do. Like right. that's one solution. Or even just like, wow, I really don't remember that and I'm really sorry because it's clearly been weighing on you. Let's talk. Like lots of options were available to him at the time. I'm not impressed with his reaction. He sounds a little thoughtless at best and a jerk at worst. So by all means, just like 
dump him. But, you know, I would really encourage you to think about, and, and to think about this gently. I don't mean to say like, and hey, if you don't become an incredibly confident, takes no guff person in the next six months, then just get ready to be hurt a lot. I, I really just do want you to think about like, man, when you look back at like that first year, you were you found it really rough. You were too afraid to say something when you felt like he was treating you unfairly or being unkind. How might you take care of yourself such that in the future, you don't get into a relationship like that again? Or if you notice that a relationship is heading in that direction, um, you can stop and reassess and take stock and either say, this isn't working for me, I'm going to end things now, or this isn't working for me, you need to change this now or I'll leave. Like That's what I would hope for you in the future. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, And I also think like, you just really modeled, like I would invite the letter writer to think about if this kind of situation came up again, how would you want someone to respond? Because when someone respond, when someone who you're in a relationship with or that you, you know, who says they love you, when you bring up something to them and they're like, I don't remember that, and that's the end of the question, they could, like not even expressing curiosity, like tell me more about how that felt. Or you said, you said that I said this, I don't recall saying it, but let's talk about it. Like, Look, someone who is genuinely interested in cultivating a meaningful relationship with you is going to be curious about, about getting more information when you bring that kind of thing up. They're not going to just say, I don't remember and shut it down. And frankly, I've had a lot of interactions with people who are like not very kind, I guess we'll say. And I feel like the I don't remember that trick is a pretty, a pretty used one to have to avoid accountability or have to avoid having a conversation that maybe puts your, their behavior in a, in a bad light. And so I just, it's, it kind of raises a red flag for me when someone is constantly like, oh, conveniently doesn't remember this like unkind thing they said, even if it was flippant, right? And I don't know, I just have a lot of memories of bringing up something hurtful that happened, someone saying, I don't recall that, but me knowing that it was an incredible, like it was, I, I thought about it every day for six years. I know that it happened. Like I wrote it in my journal, like I've been, I've been, you know, holding on to this, like, you think I don't remember it? Like, it, it almost feels a little bit, I don't know, like, it's just a, a, a red flag for me. I, I'm with you. I, I would say, like, if this is not a relationship that you feel really compelled to, like, fight for and cling to, you know, it might have just run its course. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think it, it, it's, I, I can certainly understand lots of relationships or lots of incidences where somebody might genuinely not remember it because it didn't register as emotionally significant to them at the time. But there's a world of difference between saying, I don't remember this, but it happens. And I want to hear more about how you experienced it so we can talk about it and I can try to make amends versus I don't remember this. And the implication at the end of that period is, so shut up about it. Right, exactly. Exactly. Um, because that's you, you can't work with that. Um, and it sounds like, letter writer, you're already aware you do want to change this part of yourself. You don't, I think it's pretty strongly implied here, you don't think this is the guy to sort of work on it with. I think I agree with your assessment. Um, it sounds like you have a pretty easy out when you when you move. So that's great. But I would also really encourage you, if part of you is worried that like, you're going to leave something unsaid or you're going to hope that the move does the breakup for you and you would maybe feel more comfortable if you were just like, and by the way, when I move, let's break up. You know, I would, I would encourage you to say something. You don't have to go into the nitty gritty with him if you don't want to, but I would encourage you to just in whatever way feels appropriate uh, or, or achievable to you to, you know, formally 
end the relationship. Um, I think that will go a long way towards maintaining some of your peace of mind. And as always, when you're trying to think about how you can change a pattern in romantic relationships, I think that's a really useful opportunity to speak to some of your friends. And that's not to say that you want to like call everyone in your contact list every time you have a disagreement with a future partner, but you know, one or two trusted people to say, uh, I'm, I'm breaking up with my partner. I want to work on this one issue in the future. And, you know, I'm not making you like be responsible for it for me, but you know, I want to, the next time I date someone, if they hurt my feelings, whether accidentally or not, I want to say something within a week rather than a year. Like that's my goal. And like, talk about it. Let it, let it be known. I think, I think telling people you have a goal helps make it seem a little bit more achievable. And this is an achievable goal. I don't mean that you'll get amazing at this overnight, but you can get better at it. And I think you already have begun to. And so I have, I have a good outlook for your future on that front. That's such a positive like way to frame it. I think that's true. And I also think like it, I, this could be something that is like really, really is the beginning of like a shift for this letter writer where, you know, they are expressing themselves clearly and openly and without shame. And that me, it sounds like a small thing, but it can be, it can really be something that like is an eye opener and a game changer. So it sounds like this letter writer is, is in good shape. Yeah. I think the last thought that I have on this front is, you know, screen for this early on dates in the future. Um, and that doesn't mean if like you go out with someone and you really like them, but they make one slightly flippant joke about something else, you have to immediately run for the hills. But like, if you are on a date with someone, you notice they're making a lot of sort of flippant jokes at your expense. Don't go on a second date. Screen for it early. Um, and, and like, let it be known, you know, when you're talking with people, when you're getting to know someone and they're asking about, or you're telling them about what you're looking for in a partner, you know, you can, you can stress, like, I'm looking for somebody, you know, sincere or earnest or who doesn't like couch criticism in sort of plausibly deniable joke format. Um, somebody who doesn't get defensive when we argue, you know, however you would want to frame it. Make that a stated goal and value. And I think that will go a long way towards cutting down on incompatible dates for you. Um, and then the other one is just also look for people who, you know, again, I don't want to say that no, like sometimes in any relationship, it may happen that one person really remembers something and the other one is like, that didn't register for me. But man, oh man, if somebody's go-to is, I don't remember that and therefore this conversation is over, that's a sign that like your time together is probably done. You don't have to work with that. Completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think it's nice. Like sometimes you realize you really want to address or change the dynamic in a longstanding relationship. And sometimes you just realize, you know what? I just like, I don't want to date you anymore. I don't want to work on this issue. I don't want to like have a long heart to heart about it. I don't want you to try to fix it. I would like to break up. And that can be really nice because it's like, you know who you're allowed to disagree with about pretty much everything is an ex. <laughs> you can just throw it's your hands up and say, we don't agree. Goodbye. Yeah. It's almost kind of healthy that this letter writer, it seems like it's clear that this is not her, it is not her ministry to like sort this out for this guy. It's like, this is for him to figure out and whoever he dates next, but it's not my job. And like, good luck, but I, I don't want to have to deal with this. I don't want to have to like unpack it with you. This is for you to sort out, not me. Yeah. I want nothing more to do with this. It's kind of healthy to like be able to see it that way. Yeah, like I don't care. I mean, not I don't care, but like I no longer care if you remember it or not. I don't want to be with someone who does that. 
I don't want to be with someone who makes like mean spirited jokes about the fact that I don't have a child and then forgets it. Um, I would like to be with someone who ideally doesn't say that. And I guess subsequently, if they did say it, would remember it because they'd think, wow, I, I just made a really mean joke at my partner's expense and I feel bad. Right. Or if I brought it up, even if they didn't remember it, we'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. Let's talk about that. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I Not to like get too into the weeds here, but I've certainly had like incidents in my own life where a friend or a partner has said like, you said something that really hurt my feelings a while back. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I'm really sorry. And occasionally it's been, gosh, I don't remember that day. That sounds like something I would say. I'm really sorry. Tell me more about it. And that's not a great feeling. Um, but that is part of being human is that you will sometimes hurt people's feelings without intending to or without realizing that you were intending to. And you've got to be able to sometimes just like pause and listen to someone describe their experience with you without preemptively deciding they've got to be wrong. Because um, that way just sort of guarantees that there's a limit on how close someone else can get to you. Mm, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, the more we talk about this, the more I'm thinking this guy sounds like a jerk. Yeah, I just like, who needs a boyfriend who makes like snide jokes about not having a child? No one needs that. I mean, even if you don't have a child and you're thrilled about it and you want to make jokes about it, I don't think anyone would be like, oh, I sure hope I find someone who makes jokes about it at my expense. Right. Like you just don't like the life is hard enough. You don't need a boyfriend who, or a partner who like makes mean jokes at your expense. And it also sounds like this is his way of bringing up stuff. And so rather than her, not, if the letter writer not having a child was an issue, he could bring it up in a, in a constructive, healthy way. Not mm -hmm. through snide little jokes at her expense. Like if you have something to say and you can't say it clearly, don't say it through a little, a little snide joke. Yeah. I, I don't want to get too into the like psychology of this guy, but man, when you put together that the jokes were about either the letter writer not having children or not having another partner, it sure seems like the 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 gist of the jokes was you don't have anyone but me you're alone you should feel lucky that I'm with you is the implication and I don't like that at all so I would just actually say if you want to just tell him like you're you're dumped I'm out of here <laughs> like that's just, that's as short as your breakup conversation needs to be some people you're like oh I gotta end this but like I really do respect this person and I owe them like a reasonable conversation about like what changed and some people it's kind of just like oh, I'm going to tell you to lose my number and that's it. Well, why would she tell him what changed? He's not going to, he's going to say he doesn't remember any of it anyway. So like, why even? <laughs> you know, speaking of not remembering, I don't remember why I started dating you. So I'm going to stop. <laughs> that's so perfect. If only that were something that were happening to me right now, rather than a hypothetical scenario that might happen to somebody else, I'd be able to use it. But... At any rate, I feel like when I'm coming up with imaginary comebacks uh, to things somebody hasn't said, uh, that's a sign that I've said all I can that's useful on the subject. So maybe now is a good time to um, move on and talk a little bit about, uh, I don't know, some of your own projects. Perhaps the question of whether or not there are girls on the internet. Is there anything that you Ooh. can tell us about that? I can tell you a little bit about that. Uh, so I am the host of a podcast on iHeartRadio called There Are No Girls on the Internet. Uh, the name is tongue-in-cheek because there are plenty of girls on the internet. There's girls on Thanks the internet. The There's, yes. People, people will often think I'm being serious with that title. And I'm like, no, no, it's kind of a private joke between like me and myself. Uh, 
because there's plenty of girls on the internet. There's girls on the internet. There's people of color on the internet. There's queer folks on the internet. There's trans folks on the internet. There's sex workers on the internet. The internet is a beautiful tapestry of all these amazing identities and backgrounds and voices and people. And that's what makes it a cool place to show up. And so the podcast really is an exploration of all of the ways that people who are often like traditionally marginalized or historically underrepresented, all of the ways that despite that, we still show up and make the internet like this vibrant space every single day. I uh, was also immediately put in mind of that old um, Peter Steiner cartoon of the two dogs sitting in front of the computer on the Uh internet known as your dog, um, which is also always just like, it's nice to be reminded of drawings of dogs. So that's delightful. How long have you been working on this? So I've been doing this podcast since 2020. So it's been about, it'll be, actually it'll be two years. Wait, I think we just had our two year anniversary. So two years as of this week. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so two years. Very cool. Is there anything in particular that you feel like you you want to set your sights on or that you haven't yet accomplished in these last two years? Oh, so many things. I think there's just so many interesting stories about the way that people who have been traditionally marginalized still show up online. And so I think right now, given the conversations that we're having around things like Roe and abortion access, really using this as an opportunity to create honest, helpful conversations about like, what does this mean for, you know, people using the internet to make decisions about their health and their, you know, choices about their health, but also the ways that like, how we got to have an internet that is so, you know, that can be this like minefield for things like criminalization. And who are the voices who we haven't maybe listened to enough who have been talking about this for a very long time? And so a lot of sex workers on the internet have really been doing a lot of work for many, many years of, of creating conversations around privacy implications online and how how what we do online can be criminalized and harm us. And so I'm really hopeful that now we will all sort of come to the table ready to have honest conversations about whose voices have been kind of left out of these conversations now that we're all seeing how important and how how critical they are. That sounds fantastic. And I hope that the next two years are at least as exciting as the previous two have been. And that you I get to so go too. to everywhere in Portugal. I don't know. This, I'm, I'm like assuming that this is a work trip. Um, I'm just really impressed that you're in Portugal. That feels so suave to me. It feels so chic. Oh, it's been fun. Uh, this is my first time in Portugal. Uh, it, it's been really fun. It's a little bit of a work, a little bit of a fun trip, but um, I'm really excited that I got to spend my you know, second full day here hanging out with you. It's like a dream come true. That's not true, but a very kind thing to say. And I appreciate it immensely uh, here in Brooklyn where I plan on, um, I don't know, I could I could see the water. That's Portuguese-ish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have, have, a, have a glass of wine or a, or a coffee by the water tomorrow and, and you know, absorb some, some, some Portugal vibes. I'll do that. I, I, will, I will have a coffee and I will think Portuguese thoughts. <laughs> and I will learn something about Portugal to inform those thoughts um, rather than just try to guess. Oh my gosh. Bridget, thank you so much. Uh, I'm just in the, the best mood. I'm going to go cook some beans and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much for having me, Daniel. This has been amazing. Thank you for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. 
Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations with the guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. I just feel really warmly towards all of our letter writers. Uh, and I, I hope that they're all, you know, surrounded by like loving friends and no terrible boyfriends uh, and no terrible mothers in the in the near future. I'm, I'm almost like tearing up with what you just said for your last, to the last letter writer, because it, I mean, it's hard, but it's also like so many of the people who wrote letter or all of the people who wrote letters today, it sounds like they're at difficult, but challenges in their life, but like also moments for opportunity and clarity and growth. And so hard and scary and big, but also good things could be on the end of those hard, scary, big decisions. Yeah. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.